imagine a world in which PTSD no longer robs from millions who suffer. You don't want to get help because you're embarrassed. You don't want to tell people the dark stuff that you've went through. That stigmatism of you can't talk to people, it is so true. I just didn't feel like I wanted to open up to anybody or tell them what I was going through. Post-traumatic stress is not a disorder. It's an injury that can be healed quickly so that those who suffer get back to thriving in their families, communities, and mission. And I said, I yeah. don't wanna, I, I can't, I don't wanna live this trauma again. Yeah. And he goes, yeah. you don't have to. Yeah. And I said, yeah. what? The hospital I went to and the experts, they forgot to tell me I can heal. I didn't know that I can get rid of PTSD. Each week we tell a skeptical world what is possible with stories of those who have successfully cured their trauma. I wanted so desperately to be a good mother and get my life back, so I found Life After PTSD and I started driving and listen. I called my boyfriend and said, hello, I've got something you need to listen to. This is Life After PTSD. Well, I want to welcome everybody to another episode of Life After PTSD. My name is Jeff McLaughlin, hosting as always, and today's uh, going to be a really cool episode because we're actually we're actually live, even though this won't be aired live, but live here in Coral Springs, Florida. And this is my hometown, so came back to represent. Nobody seems to care. But I'm with some very, very special guests today, and um, we're going to have a, a great conversation about the the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School community. So I want to welcome Linda Corley. How's it going, Linda? Hey. How you doing? Oh, this is exciting. <laughs> like, I know you've been on a radio show before, but this is the first podcast, yes? It is. All right, awesome. So no pressure on my end. i got to make oh. sure this thing sounds good, right? So Joel Kaplan, how's it going, buddy? Hey. How are we great. doing? I'm doing great. It's welcome to the show. Yeah. Life Thank after you. PTSD. I don't know which episode this is going to be, but we're 30-something episodes underneath the belt, and um, very excited because the guests seem to get better and better and better. Uh, we're having a lot of fun getting to tell stories of really of life after PTSD, of clinicians really making changes and uh, in their practice and bringing healing to people, but also more importantly, the ones that are being healed. And we will talk in a few minutes because you guys just witnessed an RTM demonstration live that Alan Canerva did here in Parkland or in Coral Springs at a training, the Coral Springs Parkland area. But first, I want to talk about you guys and um, y'all just finished a documentary. And so um, after Parkland, just finished sometime in mid-March, tell me about that. What is this thing that you guys created? Well, you know, Joel and I have been in the public television world for over 30 years. We've been working together for, what, 32 years? At least. Um, but my connection... And you still like each other, right? Mm -hmm. kind uh, of. Depends Sometimes. on what day. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Work husband, you know how that there goes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, so we've done documentaries for years on every topic, history, art, politics... Yeah. This just literally fell into our laps. I sure. lived in Parkland for 21 years, raised my kids. Cool. They went to Marjorie Stoneman Douglas. When yeah. the tragedy happened, yeah. Yeah. it literally hit home. I'm sure. And I said, Joel, we're doing a documentary, but we're doing it from the lens of, of the people that live there. So it's not the big headline story. It's Thank more you. behind the headlines. <laughs> It's the yes. real story. It's the story we all want, right? It's yeah. the story of the teacher. It's the story of the student. It's the story of the activist. It's the story of the parent. It's yeah. Yeah. it's trying to get a really good 360 look at what this town, who they are, why they're special, yeah. why they didn't take it sitting down. We followed it for one full year from the tragedy mm -hmm. to the anniversary. Yeah. So it was uh, really an, an interesting journey. We traveled with the March for Our Lives kids in the yep, summer, yep, yep. but we also got to know wonderful students that uh, were doing 
some healing work, some really cool, uh, wonderful work quietly that, that the newspaper and the TV stations just weren't picking up. Yeah, There's yeah. a kid called Darian Williams. He was a sophomore, is a junior now, yeah. and he wanted to do a movie called uh, Behind the Headlines. Behind the Headlines, and it was about hope. And he wanted to do it because he was tired of the news stations making this all like a tragedy and that the, the students would never be the same and the town was always going to be known for tragedy. Yeah. And so he wanted yeah. to let his fellow students around the world know we are working to get ourselves okay. Yeah. Yeah. He was basically telling us that Parkland is a great community. Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School is a wonderful school and it's one of the best in the state. And he says, we can't let this one moment define us. Seriously. We're not going to let one moment. And so he, he actually was sort of the impetus that gave us, you know, just excited us to to want to go in the direction of, and follow him yeah. in this story of everybody else was talking about the tragedy and negative, you know, negative stuff. Yeah. We, we saw a community was coming together, healing each other. And that was the beautiful story we wanted to tell. So you guys, you said at the beginning of the tragedy, what would you say was like what like day one for you of making this documentary? What, was what it really was, February 14th or is it shortly no, after? What would you no, say? No, actually it would be a couple days later at okay. the memorial at Memorial Park is when it occurred to us. Actually, that was the day we met Darian Williams. Wow. Mm -hmm. And we wow. saw that. There was another side of the story yeah. that there were Resilience, kids out right? there, yeah. yeah, that were awesome. saying we're we're gonna get up and we're gonna be stronger yep. for this. Yep, that's awesome. So, uh, in your your travels, let's let's talk maybe the first I don't know maybe two or three months of of working this documentary. Uh, what were you learning? You you, you kind of went into this thing, and we kind of talked about this off show. So I'm gonna you know spoiler alert. I'm sharing things that were shared off show. But I think that you went into this kind of looking at the whole MSD strong thing and you had an eye-opening revelation early on in the filming. Um, what happened? Tell me about that. What did you learn? Well, we were focusing in on uh, the positive side of the story, mm -hmm. right? So it wasn't just students. It wasn't just teachers. It wasn't, you know, one particular population. But we were uh, portraying or showcasing uh, survivors and then family members. Sure. And as the story would, you know, progress and we get closer to the anniversary, we realized the MSD Strong was not quite as solid as it was being portrayed. I just I, for a timestamp on that, when would you say that you you realized that was the case that you started to go, yeah, there's some holes in it, right? Uh, yeah, like uh, the fall, fall of okay. of 2018. Sure. Yeah, as yeah. we really got to know these kids. And then you would see they'd be singing a song with Melissa Manchester. Melissa Manchester did our uh, music. And so she wrote an anthem called We Are the Fire. We went into a recording studio, mm -hmm. and these survivors were singing behind her in the chorus. But there'd be triggers. Like, they would just start to cry. They were overly emotional. Wow. You know? And so at first we thought, well, it's a nice song. It's normal. We would just see certain things when you spend time with people over weeks and months. You start to see their mother would stop you in the parking lot and say, my daughter's not sleeping at night. You realize there were a lot of hurting kids out there and hurting parents, too. And teachers. And teachers. That, that was our experience, and um, it was only a couple months ago. That's why I was asking you for the date stamp, because it was, it was Kim, who we had, you know, Krawcheck, that we've had on the podcast, wrote an extraordinary article 
just talking about that very idea that MSD Strong had was becoming, you know, almost like a projection on these kids. And they were not students, par- I mean, students, parents and teachers, I think all alike. And they were not being given the latitude and the space to grieve and to, you know, experience the normal stuff that you would experience in something like this. It was, we've got to unite, we've got to be strong. Almost to the point that for some kids, they were feeling guilty for going to therapy. I can't do that because I'm not MSD strong, mm-hmm. right? I was just crazy. We had no idea, but you figured this out several months earlier, which well, is crazy. Yeah, and look at the culture. I mean, from the bracelets to yeah. to the hoodies, to the whole banners oh, everywhere. Bumper stickers. They're, everywhere we, we saw this, these signs everywhere, MSD strong. Yeah. yeah. And one of the clients that I worked with, her they went on vacation for the summer. And when they came back, uh, the the elementary school child in the family who didn't knew what was going on, knew they got Valentine's Day taken away this year. They didn't get to do Valentine's mm-hmm. on Valentine's Day, but came back from from out of town and said, all of a sudden they're seeing all the signs again. And they said, mommy, when are we going to be strong enough? What are we doing? What, what are we doing to them thinking they're not strong enough? Like the elementary. Yes. And so that's how this documentary, you know, uh, we followed it a full year, but then it occurred to us that the documentary wasn't over yet, even sure. though that one, sure. you know, is closed yeah. and it's going to film festivals and public television Absolutely. next year yeah. around the yeah. country, but it needed a part two. Well, it we really, need a solution. Yes. We had the premise and now we're showing the healing, the yeah. real healing yeah. part yeah. of it, not just wearing the hoodie that says MSD strong. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's interesting. Just a couple of weeks ago, um, one of the survivors of Columbine who is 37 years old, took his life. That community hasn't healed. But do you realize that right? that's that person was in the classroom? Yeah. Uh, like in here, visited here. Oh, no, I didn't know that. Yes. So the one no. that just took their life in Columbine was here just uh, a couple months. I'm not sure what the timing is. I'll have to find out. Miss Avery's class or some. Wow. And so one came of the to other just classes. what? To speak to the to, kids or something? To talk to the, the kids give a who have been through this. Like, hey, yeah. I've, I've yeah. been there too. Yeah. And what kind of example, what does this say to kids? Yeah. yeah. When they come and say, hey, I'm here with you. I've been here. I know how rough it is. And they leave and they go commit suicide yeah. two, two months later. Yeah. They had another meeting recently with survivors from lots of different places. Sandy Hook and Columbine. One of them, well, a lot of them, at the end, they would say, well, what can you give us? What kind of hope? And at least two of the people said nothing. It just, it's just going to be hard. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, my heart goes out to them. I want to say, can we please work with you just one time? I know you think it's not going to get any better. And a lot of them don't want to get better because they think it's uh, not fair to the people who lost their children or, or lost their friends. If I get healed of this pain, somehow that's discrediting to the life that was lost, which it isn't. I mean, who, none of those people who died would want to be remembered by this. But you're you're talking about like like an untold dynamic, just Mm -hmm. like the MSD strong thing. A lot of people from the outside see we, you know, you guys are in this community. We're up in Orlando. We're just three hours away seeing this sort of the the facade MSD strong. Right. And a lot of people on the outside would look at what what do you mean? Feeling guilty for healing? That sounds ridiculous until you've experienced something Mm -hmm. like this and you realize that that's a real emotion. It's a real phenomena that happens. So here you guys are today. You've seen now as of an hour ago, first time you've seen an RTM protocol administered on someone that that was in the context of a training here done as a live demo. What are your thoughts? Give me a first reaction to what you saw. Well, I, I should explain sort of the before because you really aren't convinced or wowed by something unless you see, 
you know, the naked truth of, of, of the condition that they were in before they walked into mm-hmm. we agree. this healing room. <laughs> sure. So you introduced me, Carrie introduced me to this lovely young woman who seemed very nervous about what was going to take place as she was going to enter this large room with all these clinicians that are, you know, observing. Of course, she had agreed, just so we know. Yeah, and she, she did want, She did mm-hmm. want to do this. I didn't force her. We Why didn't was she know. hogtied? What was that all about? I couldn't figure that out. <laughs> By the way, just because we'll Carrie's voice is on there, Carrie slipped in late, so welcome, Carrie Russo, <laughs> to the show. Yeah. Yeah, just sneaking in. Yeah, I know you were out, outside having a snack. I get it, but anyway. So, <laughs> yeah. All right, so you got this. So tell me what you saw, Linda. Yeah, so I really didn't have to ask this lady too much, and she just immediately opened up about her situation, what what had occurred to her to to give her these PTSD uh, symptoms, and she started crying. She started crying so much that she had trouble finishing her sentences. Mm-hmm. I mean, she was, as the English say, in bits. She was mm-hmm. really traumatized by recalling what had happened to her, shaking. I mean, I. This was and I a had woman. walked away. I had walked yes. away. I came back out. I was like, whoa, what'd you do to her? And yeah. I felt so bad. And I had only met her literally three minutes before. And I'm hugging her. Mm-hmm. I'm comforting her saying, you know, wh- wh- what's going to go for you, you know, uh, in front of you in a couple of minutes is going to heal you. It's all good. You're you like, know, I stop hope. crying. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel like you said, I felt bad that I had caused her to get so emotional. And then, um, you know, she, you took her away for a while to, to get her into a... Actually, no, I just did the PSSI-5. That's all I did. I did a test. I walked down with her and I said, look up, look up, because looking up helps you to kind of recalibrate. So if you're starting to cry and you look up, it That was the break state we were talking about mm-hmm. before. And um, so I said, look up. Can you think of what it's like to have your dog with you? Like, do you remember your twin, your kids when they were little, toddlers? Do you remember what they looked like? Look up, you know, look, imagine that. So just to get them to break state... Um, they go from that emotional brain to logical, like thinking, trying to recall a picture, recall, you know, even looking up. So then all I did was I just went and did the PSSI-5, so the test, to see, um, which is this national normed test for, for PTSD. So I just went and did that test quickly. I was worried, though, that she was going to get more triggered during the test, because sometimes they do. But it's just a 15-minute kind of checklist. And um, so she scored having positive for PTSD for that event. And then we came back in the room. We just wanted that baseline. Yeah. And then she was introduced by Alan and uh, went through the protocol. And uh, it's really step by step. It's a lot of visualizing. What was so impressive was it was Mm non-traumatic. I saw a, a visual difference. I saw a woman by the end of the session actually laughing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, she had a smile on her face. She was able to recall what had happened to her. She was almost becoming, you know, when you make fun of yourself, like, you know, if only I'd steered, steered a little wider with the car, you know, mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. And, <laughs> and you know, she, she was buoyant. Uh, she was... Yeah, we saw the visual transformation, as Linda said, from a woman who was hysterical to 20 minutes later laughing. And it was, it was amazing to watch this transformation. Uh, it, it just blew my mind. And uh, I know Linda was Im- quite it, impressed. It amazes me every day. Every day when I sit down with somebody, yeah. completely changed. And it was, and every time I do, I think this is just amazing. I've done it many, many times, mm. but I still amazed. You guys have now seen, and maybe you can start to understand our plight here 
Nobody's selling snake oil here. No. You guys witnessed before your very eyes literally a neurological intervention. This is not like, you know, a brain surgery operation that only the the minority negative or not negative point zero zero one percent of the world can do. Mm-hmm. Right? This in the hands of trained professionals, you know, if they will follow that script, are going to get the same results. That's what we're seeing across the board, which is crazy. So yeah, that's why one thing one thing that Alan and I were just talking about earlier today is, you know, he teaches people he used to teach people to fly or teach people to ski and and you teach them, and they're going to be at varying level of proficiency. And so it's the same with this to a point. This in therapy, so you teach people to do therapy, they're varying skill levels, right? But with this, if you follow the protocol, even an average therapist who's getting average results is going to get good results. You know, you just read the script. Do it the way he teaches you to do it. So, so now knowing this, we look at this community you know, been here how many times in the last five or six months have we made trips down here, Carrie? I mean, I feel like it's been like once a month we've been down here and knowing what we know and knowing what you guys have seen in your research and your study, this is a, a community that is still reeling. And I think you can understand why we get a little excited about the work that we're doing and why you guys are getting excited about it too, because we go, wow, this is like an answer right here. And and perhaps the answer, you know, um, what could happen if you would clear the traumas and the fortunate thing is for many of these kids and I don't want to minimize this February 14, 2018 is a day like no other day that that is for those kids that's their 9/11 and it's even worse cuz it happened right here right in their own backyard we all know and they have to go back there and they have mm-hmm. to go back there right every day but yeah. the fortunate thing for many of them is many of them are only carrying that unlike other people that we work with that are much older in life who are carrying lots of things, you know, you clear the one thing and it's like, all right now, and it's a good thing because you're, you're peeling back layers and stuff that needed to have been dealt with for years and years and years is getting dealt with. But the results that many of the clinicians that have already been trained in RTM are seeing is that these kids just had, that's their one trauma clear that grades are back on the rise. They're back reengaged in life in the way that they were, they were meant to be. The families get their, their kids back, right? The, the schools get their students back. And the kids are starting to get to to be what they were they were meant to be all along. Yeah, super cool. Super cool. So, what was uh, something aside from the simplicity of the uh, the demonstration? Just any other observations to you that that stuck out? Was there anything there that you know you thought was cool, or did you get your get your wheels spinning at all about? Uh, <laughs> what do you think? Well, you know, when you live with such a trauma, and it's it could be years old, that mm-hmm. within like three or four sessions, yeah. I mean, how. It's, it seems like it's amazing. It's yeah. a miracle. And, and yeah. what was surprising to me is, is what you said earlier is so non-traumatic. It was actually very light and, and there was lots of, of laughing mm-hmm. and uh, just a light atmosphere. It was, it was, it was wonderful to watch. I didn't see any, any pain at any point. I, yeah. I, I don't know if you remember this on, on uh, I think it was Ali Sullivan's episode, uh, maybe mid twenties or something in our, in our role of, of shows here. She talked about um, her therapist, Lori Norman, who was trained in January here. Uh, Lori's an excellent clinician already, but added mm-hmm. RTM to her arsenal essentially and began treating some students. And uh, Allie was one of them. Um, Allie's doing great. And uh, Allie shared about how when Lori first pitched this idea, Lori said, I think you're going to like this. We should try this tool. And she's like, you know, Allie's there going, this is therapy. I'm supposed to like this. Like you're going to th- like we're going to have fun today. And, uh, and that was the, her response on the podcast. She actually said to Lori, she said, you know, like it wasn't traumatizing the first day. It was it was kind of interesting. It was kind of fun. Like, how was that? Sp- clearing trauma is fun. Am I missing something here, guys? What's yeah. going on here? That's basically <laughs> what I'm what I'm saying. Yeah. It, it looked like it was exactly. fun. Yeah. And, and when you when you have trauma, often you can't access anything good that happened. So when I actually the girl will talk about 
names later, but the girl that I had processed that you knew, um, at first when we were talking about MSD and the, everything that happened, she said, one of the things we want to do is find a chime after that when it was okay and you were relatively safe, things were okay. Well, when you've been through something that traumatic, at that moment, you can't think of something okay for a long period of time. And we want something kind of a little bit closer to the event. And she, she's like, I don't know. And you know, we finally found something, one little spot where, okay, well, I guess I was okay then at this point. But once we finished and she was talking about it afterwards, she said, oh, you know what? We were even laughing. We were still scared, but we were laughing because we were afraid that this was going to happen or this was going to And so we were kind of joking about, oh, no, this is, you know, and, and it was actually funny. It, it wasn't funny, but it was. I mean, she was able to access more things that happened. You know, often when we're traumatized, we only remember that trauma. Right. And you don't see the support systems even around you. Yeah. You, know, you don't see, oh, there was that person that helped me. You, you're just so focused on the trauma. And yet, from even 20 and 30, 40 years ago, people are having... Vietnam veterans are clearing things. Yeah, that's I mean, that's incredible. You know what I learned? You asked me something that just from just like switch it around, not just from the the patient or the person that's traumatized. What about these therapists for years that have been using the old method, mm. and they've had to sit there and listen to these excruciating stories and they're obviously compassionate individuals they wouldn't have gone into this if they weren't and they're getting residue yes incredible you hear of therapists with drinking problems and and all sorts of things because they're they're traumatized it's it's they're living with it with this type of protocol that doesn't happen to you right it's so even if you hear the story. So I've heard military stories and all kinds of gruesome things. And in the past, to hear someone tell the story and they could barely talk, but they felt like they needed to tell you, it literally ripped your heart out. You can imagine being there. You know, we've all seen movies. You can imagine. And this person sitting in front of you was there, you know, when this atrocious thing happened. And you're right there with them and it's horrible. But now... When they tell you the story, like they tell you what, oh, you know, last week I went and we did this and this happened and it was unfortunate. It was really sad. And I don't mean to minimize. It doesn't minimize it, but they can talk about it and it's not traumatizing. And then for some of the things like with MSD, they then have grief and other things that now they can deal with more effectively. Because when you're traumatized and you're just going over and over with the trauma, you're not grieving in the right way. So Sometimes people will go through this and then they have sadness or other things come up, guilt, survivor's guilt, those things come up, but those can be processed as well. But it's just, it's so amazing as a therapist to not, to be happy when you finish a session, you're like, yes, you know, and it's not, it wasn't weeks and weeks and weeks of, okay, finally this marriage is going to stay together. It was one or two sessions. Alan talks about how, um, many people, I think it was on his birthday this year and he worked an entire day on his birthday clearing trauma. And somebody says to him, you know, friend calls up, happy birthday. Why aren't you out on the golf links? Why are you working so hard? You got to slow down, man. You got to. And he said, what better work, right? What better way to spend my day than to doing something like that? I want to point out something else, too, before we take a break here. Linda, I love that you don't have a clinical background, and yet you even realized what a trauma, you know, a clinician would go through, the trauma that they would experience right there. I think that's an astute observation. And uh, quite frankly, I'm not sure how many therapists actually think about that. I literally think that they do their job, it's their duty, and they never give 
uh, actual thought to the fact that, yeah, this is going to weigh on you as well. You're going to experience things as a clinician. Yeah, I right? think you don't realize it until mm-hmm. you're not experienced that any- yep. anymore. You yep. know that, well, Alan also talks about his friend who took two weeks off, who was a clinician, mm-hmm. took two weeks off. And he said, oh, what are you going to do? He's like, oh, I just need to, I just, I've been dealing with some really hard traumas, uh, you know, really intense cases, and it was, I just need some time away. And, you know, I'm like, Alan, I don't need time away. Give me another one. This is great. Bring it. <laughs> yeah. Bring it. I, you know, I, we stepped out and, and interviewed a couple of the therapists that are here learning. Yeah. And we got that vibe from, from the two people we interviewed. They said how exciting it is. You can see their eyes light up and that they they feel energetic. So energetic by helping people so quickly. And that's what you go into this business for. Yeah. So you go into this field and now you see how quickly you're making results and helping people. And you could just see the energy in their eyes. It was yeah. exciting to see during our interviews. There's, there's going to be some ninjas kicked out at the end of this training session. So we're on Thursday and it ends on Saturday of this week. And there's, yeah, li- literally be some ninjas that go out there and do some of it. And we like, we like using that phrase, the ninja skills, right? That they just have it. There's something about them. It's, it's personality, but it's also competence as well. It's all of the above. And you know, they're going to be great. All right, well, let's take a break here and we're going to come back after we'll reset some things right now. I, I think what we want to do is on the flip side of this, let's talk about the next steps. All right, what you guys see for this community and uh, maybe a project you guys are working on and we'll kind of go from there. Hey, Life After PTSD listeners. We're glad that you love other stories of healing, but what about you? First Orlando Counseling is the premier trauma therapy center in Central Florida with a full staff of trained clinicians ready to help you clear your trauma without re-traumatization. Childhood abuse, relationship abuse, a traumatic car accident, birth trauma, first responder or military trauma, even phobias. You don't have to live like this. It's time for you to heal. Schedule a consultation today by visiting firstorlandocounseling.com or call 407-514-4470. It's that easy. Well, welcome everybody back. Uh, we are here talking with Linda and Joel and just talking Parkland. You guys are, I think, still in, in shock at what you've just seen. By the way, I wanted to let you know I understand that. We've been doing a ton of these podcast episodes, and I think people out there assume, oh, yeah, you guys have been doing this for, for decades. No, we haven't. Right. That has not been the case at all. And so it was it was seeing a demonstration live on a Marine in Orlando that got me hooked in. A lot of things have been coming into place as a result of, you know, stuff that's that's really recent history. You know, so some may be out there going, well, where were you guys when all this stuff in Parkland started? We, we, we There was no I mean, <laughs> still in the research phase. Basically, that's where things were, you know, but uh, that's why we're working so hard now in a sense to play to play catch up and to to bring this tool to the masses. You know, I just yeah. think that's great mm-hmm. that you decided to make it your mission yeah. to, to make it available down here. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you know, it's interesting. So Orlando happened. That's what got me on board. I've shared this on other episodes of the show because this isn't my main work. I do media stuff on the side, basically. But, you know, Carrie wrote me into just capturing the training in Orlando. And we kind of had this crazy idea at the end of the Orlando training. Let's do a podcast. So I brought in all my gear and we just had no idea where that would go. And for whatever reason, it just began to explode and balloon. And, you know, we just kept going with it. And well, I think you're very good at it. Well, <laughs> you're I have great guests. I have great guests. That's the <laughs> thing. That's what it comes down to. But no, but I had done other podcasts for years. I really had an enjoyment of doing this. But, you know, it was, uh, I said, you know, who's going to start a podcast on PTSD for crying out loud? And now we're going, that's like one of the most brilliant things we've ever done because mm-hmm. the support group, uh, the groups, I should say, that are out there for PTSD. And it's funny. I had somebody on Facebook. I I'm, I'm I tried to get myself burrowed into as many of the groups on on Facebook that deal with PTSD because they can be very very dark. 
as you can imagine. So people oftentimes will, will get on there and will reach out and just, I'm struggling. And you never know. You don't know that they're not one bad decision away from, from ending it all right there. And so we like to get on as much as we can and say, hey, listen to this episode. You know, people are very willing to type out, you know, a couple paragraphs about their own story. So I'm going, every one of them, every story has a connecting point. Uh, go listen to episode 31. I dropped the link. 25, you know, whatever. Because every one of these stories has a relation. And I think that's what's been so successful about what we've been doing with this is we've recognized that people who who get treated and get on the other side of treatment are very willing to share their own story because they know what it's like to be in that place of isolation, right? They know what it's like to go, I didn't think there was a resource, right? And so we get to be a part of a part of doing that. Okay, so ladies and gentlemen, I have I've been crashed twice. This is uh, the <laughs> first time that we've ever had our podcast crashed was on this episode. The first time we've had it crashed twice is on this episode. Welcome Alan Canerva. How's it going? Really, really well, Jeff. How are you doing? We were just talking about you, and I'm not lying yeah, when I say that. Yeah, your ears ringing. <laughs> <laughs> we were just talking That's about why you. Came in. Yeah. So, Alan, um, here's where we've been thus far. We were talking about the work that Linda and Joel have done on their documentary in uh, uh, covering after Parkland, and then also we talked about the fact that they have gone through uh, now their first experience with RTM and seen it live and seen what you do, and they've been amazed at the simplicity, but also the potential reach and what can be done with this. So now we're kind of talking about like the, where do we go from here kind of deal. So um, before they chime in, where do we go from here in a community like this, Mr. Kenerva? It's a really, really good question. We were at a presentation at the uh, Parkland city hall last night and it was a Dr. Poland presenting, you know, he's 70 years old. He's been in the business of helping communities overcome grief for a long, long time. And, and you've got to respect his uh, education, his service, but at the end of the day, at the end of the presentation, a woman stood up and said, look, my daughter is still having nightmares. She's having flashbacks. She's 18. She's withdrawing from school. And he said, you know, it's really, really important to monitor their behavior. You know, you're doing the right things. You know, I, I suggest you get them in activities and you get them with their friends and just understand that healing takes a long, long time. I can imagine you didn't like that. No. So what'd you say? Well, you know, it's his audience right there. I'm not going to jump on a, another person's. But I saw an opportunity, Jeff, and this is near and dear to you, that, yeah. you know, we can go to the Parkland City Manager. The five commissioners have to vote on it uh, to support or not support. We can organize a public presentation in City Hall or at the front, and we can bring Ali and Haley and Kim and uh, Janine and us and hold a panel in, instead of one person. He spoke for 90 minutes. He had a slide deck that was probably 36 slides deep and there was no takeaways that somebody could actually leave with any hope other than, Hey, this is going to take a long time. Right? So I think we have an opportunity to do that. Hey, Alan, I know a better way we can spend 90 minutes. What do you think that is? Yeah. <laughs> I should, I should learn the documentary. I should learn. I should learn how to do group RTMs. I just love I got to warn you guys. Up. We've told you guys before, Linda and Joel, that, you know, going the route that we're going, you're going to see some white cargo vans following you with, you yeah. know, some people looking to do some malicious <laughs> things to you. Are you sure you want to join in on this oh, mess? Yeah. Okay. Cause I'm telling you, we're talking about people actually getting healed and a tear down of the institutions of sorts, not because we're looking to pick a fight, but because what we are doing here, we believe in and people need to get healed. And we're seeing that and we're so excited. And that's why yeah. we're, we're willing to face the white vans because <laughs> we, awesome. we're seeing is very exciting and we want to help get the message out. Cool. So did you hear that? We can give them, the white van can have their address instead of yours. That's how that goes. Brilliant. He's like, I'm in Ontario. What are the, what yeah, do I right. care about there? They don't cross <laughs> they the line. They can't touch me there. White, white van, you can't see it in the winter anyways. Um, <laughs> you know, the other thing last night is uh, 
that struck me is, you know, here is this sense of people in need. So Carrie and I, I was there at the presentation with Carrie Russo, and we went up to the to mother, and the grandmother was there, the, the 18-year-old was not. And we started engaging her in a conversation about possibilities and asking her if she wants to come, she could come and see a live demo this week, right? And, and she took our cards, and she's very interested. And while Carrie and I were talking to her, a woman came into the center of our circle, thrust a brochure in the mother's face and say, hey, I'm from such and such bereavement center. And if your daughter needs help, you can send her to us. We do volleyball camps and we do finger painting and we get together. And and Carrie and I were engaged in this conversation about healing with this woman Mm -hmm. and this person representing a coping strategy at best didn't even have the the social graces to say, excuse me, could I say something here? It, It was just, Carrie and I looked at each other and said, what, what's going on here? And, and I'm not faulting people who promote coping strategies. Coping is really powerful while you're waiting for help. But we're talking about healing. You know, in Canada, if you're part of the warrior program, the wounded warrior program, you get to go on bike tours of southern France or expeditions to the North Pole or f- fly fishing on the Miramichi River. Why the hell would you ever get rid of your PTSD? You lose your PTSD, you don't get world travel. <laughs> that's, a good, that's a good point, man. I, I don't, you know, I'm, you talk about having a white van, follow me. There's a comment that'll get a white van on my backside. But, <laughs> yeah. but the reality is there is secondary gain for some people, but I don't give a damn. Yeah. It, it's that kid who, who at 18, by the time they get to 25, if they get to 25, you know, the transition from high school to university or those careers is, is strenuous anyways. You know, the, the, the school that's right down the road from my office in Guelph, Ontario, had four suicides last year. Why? Well, because the kids left school emotionally in unstable states, and they get to a place where loneliness exists, big campuses, you're in your dorm room, where there's this social hierarchy, there's a whole bunch of things going lesser than, better than, worthless, wor- unlovable, un- whatever, right? And to think that this school here in Parkland, we've got a whole graduating class, and we've got five years of graduating classes coming that could leave there traumatized. That's scary. So what's coming next? I, I can't say it enough times. This is the epicenter for us. This is where we need to focus our horsepower. I agree. We need to make a difference here. We make a difference here. We'll make a difference everywhere, right? True. We change, we, we change the tide of momentum. We, we train 100 clinicians in Parkland who see 100 people in the next 18 months. That's 10,000 people. We will have changed everything. That's what's coming next. And then we just stay here and work. I joke with you that you're our neighbor to the north, but frankly, in Orlando, we are the neighbor to this community in the north. There ain't a whole lot in between here and Orlando on the turnpike. I can tell you that. Believe right. me, I saw it today. You know, and, for and the it takes me time. the same yeah. amount of time to that's, get here that's as the you. Crazy thing, right? No, he probably gets here faster by plane yeah. than I did today with that accident that was on the turnpike. But whatever, <laughs> guys. What about you, Linda and Joel? What do you see coming up? You know, we've talked about collaborating on on some stuff. Like, what what is your heart for? The, the next, the, the part two of, of your original work that you referenced in the, uh, the first half of our episode today. What do y'all think? Well, we are in the pre-production stage, and this is where we basically are like sponges and we just soak it in. Right now, we're mm-hmm. doing our research. We're seeing what you're doing. And, you know, we're starting to tell the story. And these story, this, this story, this narrative will yeah. evolve. Yep. You can't really plan it because if you plan it, it's no longer a documentary. It's a script. It's, it's a script. Yeah, follow, right. follow, yeah. follow the path. So yeah. at yeah. this point, that's a hard question yeah. to answer. Yeah. We we love our collaboration. Of course. And we are just going to just start documenting. We just know that our mission is to 
to shout it from the rooftops, essentially, that there is healing for people that are carrying trauma, which, frankly, when I look around, is like everybody. Right. You know, it really is. It's like literally everybody. And uh, we want to do something about that. What do you think, Mr. Canerva? Absolutely. You know, and so much of the conversation about trauma is focused on military people or police people or firefighters, and they deserve that focus. And the statistics say that one out of three women in North America have been traumatized, one out of five men. There was a study in Canada that said 11% of the Canadian population, civilian, will experience full-on PTSD symptoms. Um, those numbers are staggering. And, uh, you know, on one side, there's job security. But on the other side, you know, trauma may actually be the disease of our lifetime. It may actually be the, you know, the injury of our lifetime. When you look at the comorbid uh, diseases that come out of it, depression, anxiety, when you look at the research about people in prison having been traumatized as children, you want to lessen the crime rate in North America, lessen the trauma, heal the trauma. You know, you, we have mandatory dentistry, we have mandatory vaccinations, we have mandatory everything. We don't have a damn mandatory thing for our brains. And yet the kids are being traumatized before they're 10, right? And they take that behavior into their adolescence and they end up in jail. So you want to address the prison pro population problem? Let's look at trauma. And there's a huge academic body of knowledge around that. Uh, cancer. There's a huge and growing body of knowledge around the, the victims of cancer, the people who succumb to cancer, having unresolved trauma. There's the information about the traumatization during the diagnosis of, of the, cl of the uh, client and their families. So trauma may be the injury of our lifetime. You know, this isn't... This is, uh, you're talking about leaving footprints. You're talking about, these are big, big footprints we have a chance to leave. It's hey, massive. What do you mean injury? What's this injury thing all about, man? I'm triggering him, by the way. This is, this is done on purpose. What is this injury, Alan, that you speak of? Uh, the debate's getting really good. I, I got ripped by a PhD on an email recently about the word disorder. And uh, he gave me the formal DSM uh, definition of disorder. But at the same time, that may be his definition, and amongst his peers, that's what disorder means. But on the street, the person who gets labeled with a disorder, it's a, it's a label that comes with a stigma. Maybe in medical communities, it's understood in this finite, uh, non-traumatizing way. But when you, when you get labeled with a disorder, that's serious. And we don't, we don't see trauma as a disorder. We see it as an injury. It's your brain's perfect reaction in an abnormal situation. And it does it so you can be safe later. And uh, it's Hang an on. injury. So I'm going to ask these two. Do you think you saw a disorder today or did you see an injury that got cleared? What do you think you saw? Oh, I think I saw an injury. Me too. I, I think so too. Oh, yeah. Right? Isn't that crazy? But yeah. a formal diagnosis of her would have been that's a, a disorder, disorder, right? Which is not something you can clear yourself of. Sounds like something you're going to have to live with for the rest exactly. of your life. It's a stigma. You're right. You know, uh, one of our clients, uh, his PTSD was so bad, his sleep patterns had altered so radically, he was diagnosed with a REM disorder. So he has post-traumatic stress disorder, and then he doesn't sleep for 29 years Ugh. through the night. Now he has a REM disorder, so they medicate the PTSD, they medicate the red REM disorder. Now he's ang anxious all the time. No, shit, he hasn't slept for 29 <laughs> years, right? You don't sleep for 29 days. Let's see how revved up you are, right? So then they medicate him so he's not revved up. They're treating the symptoms. They're not treating what's mm -hmm. happening, he doesn't have a REM disorder. I can get you on the phone right now. He sleeps through the night like a baby. He didn't have no REM disorder. 
He had an injury, and it's an injury that got healed. He cried for almost 40 minutes the night we cleared his childhood events. He phoned me from, he texted me that he wasn't doing well, and I called him. I said, what's going on? And he said, I'm, doing, I'm not doing well. I said, what's wrong? He said, I'm sitting in my driveway. It's been over 20 minutes. I've been crying. I said, good. He said, what? I said, yeah, you've been carrying that trauma. You've been locking that sadness in for, you know, you're 56-year-old man for 44 years. My goodness. And he finally, you know, that sadness was cathartic, right? It was the healing process. He'd never been allowed because of the trauma. He'd never been allowed to heal. Never allowed to have been sad. It was taking a toll. You know, again, I think we've, we're dealing with the injury of, of, our, of our time. We don't, we don't understand the scope of it right now. We're just starting to get our head around it. So, you know, I like the movie Inception, right? Layers within layers. I don't like when they went all action adventure at the end, but I like the beginning when the <laughs> setup, right? The layers within layers going deeper. I think in this, in this concept of a documentary, there's layers within layers, mm-hmm. right? And there's the, the movement, the people who are just dropping what they're doing and getting on the team. And then there's the people we treat. There's the people we treat in the room, right? And then there's the people we, the, that are clinicians. We could just track our clinicians. The peop- those 16 people were training in that room, we just tracked them for two years. There's a documentary there. There's a documentary about the spider web of trauma, where it, where it impacts our communities. The cost, there's an economic documentary on the cost of trauma. I mean, it's just layers within layers. You guys have a documentary future. I keep telling Jeff, leverage what we've got right now. You, you have a lifetime career doing <laughs> podcasts on trauma. Just pick your mark. Yeah. The right. economic cost of trauma, the you trauma in prisons, trauma here, trauma you know, there. I, I feel like, and this is probably, you guys would probably acknowledge this as well, that anytime you want to throw in the towel on doing this stuff, because, man, it's, because uh, it, there's a lot of work. There's no question about it. It's a lot of work. But you hear these stories, and you figure out that people have connected from the work that you're doing, or, what you know, and it's, you can't stop. We can't stop. We got work to do, people. Joel and Lynn, how, how do folks find you? What would be the best way to see you? Can they see after Parkland yet, or what's the story on that? No, because we are going to film festivals this okay. summer, and so cool. you can't stream it. Got it. Yeah, cool. you can't. But so you, hopefully after this summer, it'll be airing certainly down public here. Public television. But yeah. Okay. Cool. Uh, probably more or less around the time of the anniversary. Hopefully again. Cool. Yeah. February, March Got around. It. The but nation. it'll be around the country. Cool. Awesome. It's uh, by the way. That's a full title is After Parkland: Healing a Community and a Nation. Oh wow. Okay. Uh, is there a? Do you have a, a trailer or a teaser or anything like yes. that on your website? Where? Yes. How do they find? So it's our website is daydreamproductionhouse.com. Cool. All right. Well, guys, thanks for joining us and thanks for being a part of today. Um, oh, you know, we loved it. Welcome to welcome to this team. And, and we're, you know, it's there's a lot of synergy here, bright future ahead. And, and we're going to heal some people, man. We're looking That's forward to happen. that. We're really excited. We're honored to be cool. part of it. Cool. All right. Well, if you're listening out there and you want to connect with us, be sure to subscribe. We drop episodes every Monday for sure. Sometimes bonuses on Thursday. And we look forward to seeing you soon. Catch you next week. Thanks. We're so grateful that you listened to the show today. Now imagine a new normal you get to decide with all its possibilities once you are free of PTSD, because that is what is possible. You're here, which means you're ready, but listening alone will not heal you or those you know who are suffering. Join us on the mission to eradicate PTSD by reaching out to lifeafterptsd.org or in Canada, lifeafterptsd.ca, or by sharing this message of hope with someone you know.